0: You're listening to the best of the Martha Zoller Show. You can hear the show live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN and streaming at accesswdun.com. You can find all things Martha Zoller at marthazoller.com. Welcome back to the Martha Zoller Show. We are talking to Governor Brian Kemp, and it is great to get together with you. I'm sure you are traveling somewhere in Georgia today. How are you, Governor?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Martha.
0: Thank you. Now, let's just start right out of the box with gas prices. Okay, we saw the Biden administration take credit for the reduction in gas prices. We know Georgia's got the lowest gas prices in the country. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Man, it sounds like Stacey Abrams taking credit for the great movie industry here in Georgia. You know, just uh, unbelievable. He doesn't get it. It's uh, really sad for our country. I mean, people are very frustrated with outrageous prices at the pump, 40-year high inflation, disaster at the border. And really, it seems like the whole agenda in Washington, D.C. is just going in completely the wrong direction for our country and certainly for our state. Thankfully, you have a lot of really good governors out there republicans that are pushing an alternative agenda at the state level to be the incubators of democracy and push back on what this administration's been doing and we're certainly doing that on fuel prices in georgia working with the general assembly they've been great partners on this because of us being open uh, when many criticize us including stacey abrams to to keep the economy closed or to close it back down. When we had other COVID spikes, we were resilient. The people of Georgia were resilient. Our revenues are good. And so we've been able to to spend the gas tax and continue to fund our transportation infrastructure projects. And because of that, we have the lowest fuel prices in the country. But it's still way too high. Our domestic energy policy is wrong, and a lot of other things are wrong in Washington. And that's why we're working so hard. We're in a fight for the soul of our state.
0: What do you anticipate to happen with the uh, Georgia gas tax? Because I know that that has to be renewed every so often as far as the extension of it. Where where do you where are you on that?
1: Well, look, Georgians can count on the General Assembly and I to continue to work together to help them fight through the 40 year high Biden Abrams inflation. I mean, that is the biggest issue facing our state and facing our nation right now, uh, regardless of what happens. Here, uh, over the next few weeks, few months, or the next year. We have a lot of tools in our toolbox because we've been fiscally conservative, and we're going to continue to look at things like uh, keeping the suspension of the gas tax in place, looking at how we can also help Georgians fight through 40-year high inflation. We did that last year by returning a billion dollars to the taxpayers. We also did it by making the largest personal uh, income tax cut in state history and Georgians have my commitment. I'm going to continue to do that. But we've got to work with the leaders in the General Assembly. This will be something that they have to sign off on. We're having conversations now. And, you know, my hope is that we'll be able to start messaging on this pretty soon.
0: Great. That's great to know. Now, you mentioned the border. And and for me, this is one of the biggest issues that we're dealing with right now. And it's it's for all the reasons that you would expect you know, you want people to come here legally. We want to have a, a, a process that works. But also the increase in sex trafficking and human trafficking because of the way this border overflow is happening has got to be something that's really concerning to both you and the First Lady. Can you talk about what we're having to deal with right now related to this problem and then what is on the agenda to keep improving the work that we've already done?
1: Well, thankfully, because First Lady Marty Kemp working with the General Assembly, the Grace Commission, you know, GBI Director Vic Reynolds, uh, Speaker Pro Tem Jan Jones, Attorney General Chris Carr, a lot of other people that are in this fight with us. We've done more at the state level than anyone in the country on ending human trafficking, going after the perpetrators, but also supporting the victims. And we have a commitment to continue to do that. But look, Martha, the disaster at the border, it's incredible. I mean, you know, we've been down there four different times. Uh, Marty and the girls have been down there. We've gotten briefings from the Border Patrol. It's amazing that the drug cartels are not only moving fentanyl, methamphetamine methamphetamine, and other things across the border. They're also smuggling people across the border that are sexually trafficked. They're trafficked for work and a lot of other things, and it is a literal disaster down there. The governors have been very forceful at speaking out against that. We've, uh, Governor Ducey and governor Abbott in Texas. We formed the national task force of Republican governors that are coming up with ideas and taking action to support them. We still have national guard troops on the border supporting the border patrol. The problem is the federal policies of the Biden administration are just all wrong. Um, and you know, obviously, uh, the the borders are. Vice President Harris doesn't really care about going down there and addressing the issues or talking to people that can give her the answers to these problems, including these governors that have pushed them on this. But it was interesting. Yesterday, we went, we flew down to Savannah, Attorney General Carr and I did, to speak to the Police Chiefs Association and visit with those great men and women in law enforcement. And then I came back and went to the Sheriff's Association. That afternoon, I know Attorney General Carr was there uh, as well, speaking to the Sheriff's Association, and the sheriffs uh, were telling me, one of them was telling me last night that they had had a Border Patrol uh, chief or somebody had come to speak to them and was just talking about it. And this local Georgia sheriff was saying their biggest issue is the border because of all the, especially fentanyl, that's coming across the border. It's so deadly. Um, you know, athens Clark County has got a task force. They're now, you know, carrying, um, you know, life-saving drugs and medications in their cars to respond to these uh, people that have maybe never taken a dangerous drug that, that get a trace of fentanyl and it's, you know, it, it's endangering their lives and they're unconscious when the police gets there. And, you know, we funded a lot of that in the budget last year to allow um, this life-saving drug to be in these police cars. But it, it's affecting every state in the country. People that don't, don't realize that, they've just got their heads stuck in the sand. And that's why this election in November is so important. It's so important for conservatives to turn out and send a message that, look, we do not agree with our domestic energy policy. We do not agree with our situation at the border. You know, we agree with a pro-business environment like we have in the state of Georgia and having people have their own liberties and freedoms. Uh, But tackling the tough issues that are out there today, and this is going to be really interesting uh, to watch, because people are very frustrated that I'm seeing out on the campaign trail. I was just telling the team here earlier, I feel very encouraged. uh, People are very enthusiastic about where we are, and they're ready for a change at the federal level, and they want to keep things going that we have here in our state, because we've had a great team for a long time, not just because of me, but because of people like Sonny Perdue and Nathan Deal, and a lot of members of the General Assembly we've been serving with.
0: Now, last week, the federal courts have allowed the implementation of our heartbeat bill uh, uh, related to abortion. Tell us a little bit about that and how that's going to roll out.
1: Well, we're certainly uh, very excited about the ruling of the court. Uh, it's really been kind of interesting to see the national and the Atlanta media completely over-react to what the court did. They simply through this issue, rightfully so, back to the states to decide. Uh, as you know, we passed legislation in 2019, and because of those rulings, um, the 11th District Circuit of uh, uh, the Federal Court has allowed the heartbeat bill to go into law. Of course, you know, yesterday a group of people sued to stop that from happening, so I fully expect we'll continue to have to fight this fight. But, you know, Martha, we're, we're a state that values life. And people differ on the, you know, abortion question uh, a lot of ways here in Georgia, and they certainly do around the uh, country. But in Georgia, we have a a culture of protecting life and supporting life. And we've done that not just with the heartbeat bill, but we've done adoption reform. We've done foster care reform. We've done, as we just talked about, all the efforts to end human trafficking, support the victims, protecting those people's lives that literally – uh, we're taken away from from really bad people. We're also doing a lot of things to help birth and mothers and those children, so like having uh, Medicaid extended out over a year after birth to support um, that woman and that child, allowing uh, those women to go after the the fathers from a you know a, a cost standpoint on the cost of pregnancy uh, if they're not in support of that, and a lot of other things to really value. Uh, not only the life of the mother, but also the life of that child in the womb. And I think the way we're doing it in Georgia is very sincere. Um, and and that's what we're going to continue to do. I think it's a great opportunity for conservatives and pro-life people like you and me uh, to ask the nonprofit community to step up like you've never stood up before. Also to ask government, what else can we do to support these women and these children Uh, so that they can have a great opportunity to be a productive citizen in our state and contribute to the workforce and enjoy the quality of life that we have here. And, you know, that's what we're fighting for.
0: Absolutely. And we appreciate um, and I appreciate you signing Betsy's Law, which the first maternal care home actually did open. Uh, in the last few weeks, and that's going to be a place where if, if a woman doesn't have a place to stay, she's going to have a place to live for up to 18 months after her child is born, and that is going to be a cooperation between nonprofits, the state of Georgia, and the people of Georgia, which is which is really exciting, and um, and it's the kind of well, solutions. That's, that's,
1: yeah, and that's the opportunity I think we have in the, in the future, Martha, is to continue to look at things like that, like what else can we do uh, and that will certainly be a focus of ours as we move forward. So, some
0: poll numbers came out, and I know you—I know you well enough, Brian—to know you don't live and die by the polls. You're out there working hard every day. I—the—the the thing I like to say about you when people ask me is that, you know, you can—you can go to a Farm Bureau office in a little town in Georgia, and you will find several iterations of a Brian Kemp business card because it isn't the first time he's been there. He's been there when he was. He was running for ag commissioner. He's been there when he was secretary of state, and he's been there as governor. So you're a person that's been traveling this state for a long time. But the polls have got to be encouraging. How do you integrate polls in your day-to-day campaigning life? Because you're the governor of Georgia, too. So you've got work to do, and you've got campaigning.
1: Well, I would tell you when the Atlanta Journal Constitution has a poll that has us up by five percent. I just tell people they're trying to lull us to sleep and get us to uh, not take this election seriously. So I would encourage people not to believe these polls that are out there. It's very early in the cycle. The only poll that matters is going to be on November the eighth. You know, I, th- I would I would caution people to you know while we're encouraged by these polls, uh, I also would. would you know, urge your listeners to to look at how much money Stacey Abrams has raised around the country. eighty four percent of her money has come from outside of our state. Ten million in California, six million in washington, d c, you know three, four million in Delaware and New York, and she's raised almost seven million dollars with two hundred and forty thousand plus contributions under one hundred that have come from all over the country. So literally, you have a lot of people around the country who are trying to decide how georgia's governor's election is going to go and i would just encourage your listeners not to focus on a poll but just to work hard every day to get our folks registered to make sure that they're going to go vote and anybody out there that can help us even if it's a small dollar contribution uh have them go to briankemp2022.com and help us out a little bit
0: So we're glad to talk to Governor Brian Kemp today. Georgia's the best place in the country to do business. We're number one in so many areas, and that's why we're going to be the center of the political universe in 2022. It may not be what you bargained for, Governor Kemp, but that's where we are.
1: (laughs) There's no doubt about that, but we're really ready for the challenge. And, uh, you know, I think going through the primary was, was good for us. We're in game day shape and we're working hard every day and my commitment to people if they made me the nominee again was that marty and the girls and i would do that all the way through november 8th to make sure that stacey abrams was not going to be our governor or our next president and save us from really the disastrous abrams biden uh, agenda that we're seeing in washington dc right now
0: governor brian kemp thanks so much for being with us today
1: have a great day thanks martha thank you it's where North Georgia comes to talk. It's the Martha Zoller Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9 WDUN.
0: So welcome to the Martha Zoller Show. It's always great to talk to Herschel Walker and we're so glad to have him with us today. Welcome back to the program, Herschel.
2: Hey, thank you for having me on. Thank you.
0: So first of all, tell us about Ag Week and what you're going to be doing.
2: Well, Ag Week has been a good week. I wanted to get out and talk to the people, all the farmers there in Georgia, because, you know, the farmers are hurting. They're hurting from the terrible policy that Joe Biden and Rafael Warnock is doing to them, this inflation. So I wanted to hear what's going on with them and see how I can help and, and let them know that I'm I'm for the Georgia farmers. And, and Senator Warnock is for Joe Biden. So I want them to know that, that I'm going to fight for them, that, you know, I want people to know that. You know, when you go to get uh, stuff off the shelves in the grocery store, there's a farmer that is putting it there. So we got to support our farmers, and farming is a huge part uh, of this economy here in Georgia. Well,
0: you know, it is the largest industry in Georgia, and of course, Gainesville is the poultry capital of the world, really. And I know, I, I'm sure you know, I worked for Senator Purdue as well as Governor Kemp for a while, and and one of the things I had to get the most up to speed on was agriculture and all the different parts of agriculture. Has that been one of the most interesting parts of you running for the United States Senate?
2: Uh, it has, because as you just said, you know, agriculture here in Georgia is almost a billion billion industry. And I think people need to know that. And right now, uh, Senator Warnock and Joe Biden is hurting our agriculture with, this, with the gas prices. They do not realize that they're really with the gas prices, and also fertilizer is now skyrocketed, And they're making things very, very difficult with diesel going up, the fuel is going up. It is really hurting our our farmers, our great farmers, and I want them to know that that's what's going on, that we got the wrong people at the table right now negotiating things for them.
0: So you've mentioned inflation, uh, and, of course, that's not only affecting the agriculture industry, but it's affecting everyday people every single day that they go out and do something uh, what are you observing as you go around the state related to the impact of inflation?
2: Well, that's what everyone is talking about. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about someone, a shrimper from down in uh, the Savannah area, or you're talking to someone up here in the Atlanta area in, in middle Georgia. One of the things everybody's concerned about is inflation. Whereas you see the people on the left is talking about all these other things that really doesn't matter. People are hurting because of the inflation. The, you know, inflation now been at 9.1 and it seems like they doesn't care and when you do talk about it it's almost that they're telling you you got to deal with the pain that's something that we got to get out of they do not have to deal with the pain what we need to do is put the right people in office that's going to do right by the people and, I, and that's why i keep trying to tell people that's a that was a different comparison between senator uh one and myself because i'm for georgian and he seemed to be for joe biden
0: so you've lived um, and worked in Georgia over the years, um, and, of course, you're an outsider. You are not. You have not been a politician before. You This is your first round at doing that. What are you going to bring to the table that Raphael Warnock can't bring to the table?
2: Well, what I'm going to bring to the table, it, uh, you're right, I'm an outsider, I'm not a politician, uh, and I tell people I don't dress like one, don't look like one, but one thing they need to have in uh, Washington right now is more common sense. Common sense is you don't spend what you don't have. I think everyone should know that. Common sense is, you know, we got to take care of home. And what I mean by that is why are we asking our enemies and emboldening them by giving them our energy to do things for us? Those are people that don't like us. We can do it right here at home. Common sense is, you know, we have things here that we can do, and we don't have to have other people doing it for us common sense we've got to get our kids back in school, we've got to get rid of some of these regulations and get this country back to going like it should be. And that's what I want to do for Georgia. I want to show Georgia that I'm for them, and Raphael why not is not.
0: We're talking to Herschel Walker. He's a first-time candidate for the United States Senate. He beat out a field of six candidates uh, to become the Republican nominee for the United States Senate. This is his first time running for office. Herschel, what do you want people to know about you that you think they may not know?
2: Well, what I want people to know is that I care, that they know the type of man I am. I I say what I mean, and I mean what I say, that I've done things in my life that, uh, that I did it out of the goodness of my heart. And we start having the comparison, you know, uh, they've been trying to do everything they can to make people look down on what I've done in my life. And I said, guys, what is so different between uh, Senator Warnock and Herschel Walker is I backed the blue, and he called the blue uh, thugs and gangsters. I believe in the military. I've been out there fighting that war for a long time, whereas you said you can't serve God in the military at the same time. I believe in this economy. I have a business. I built a business. And I will serve the people and not try to control the people, which is what he seemed to be doing with Joe Biden. They want to control people rather than serving the people.
0: So are there any of these controversies that you would like to address? Are there things that people need to know about the things that have been said about you?
2: Well, one of the things that I, I tell people here, people know Herschel Walker. They know I've been very honest in my life. I've been a man that has worked my whole life and never asked for anything and went out and worked hard. They've tried to de- destroy everything that I've ever done because everything that they're saying against me is what they are doing. You know, and that's what I was just saying then. The comparison is unbelievable, and they continue to put that out there, wanting people to say something different. Georgians know who I am, they know how I work, and I've always been up front. I've never tried to hide anything, but yet they're hiding everything. You see it through this economy. They want to distract you from what's happening right now. This economy is 9.1. You can't afford gas. You can't have, can't buy food off the shelf. And that's what they're trying to do right now, just distract you with all these lies and these trying to get you confused. But I'm going to continue to go out there and fight to try to get the gas prices down. I'm going to fight to try to get the groceries down. If you can afford groceries, and I'm going to fight to try to keep our kids in school and get rid of some of these mandates that they want to put on us.
0: Uh, yesterday, the courts uh, came down and said that the state of Georgia could implement the heartbeat bill, which is the the bill to limit abortion in Georgia. I know that's not a federal bill, but have you had a chance to look at that decision? And what do you think?
2: I haven't looked at the whole decision, but I'm glad that Georgia's for life. I'm for life as well, so I'm glad that Georgia's for life. And I and I get time to look at the bill a little later, but. That's. I think that's one step forward. I will always be for life, and I will never apologize for that. And that's another con- comparison that that you see that uh, center one-eyed I I'm for life, and he for a young lady killing her baby.
0: So, what are you looking forward to as far as as you get into the fall season? You're certainly used to the fall being a very competitive time with your background in football and all the things that you've done. What are you looking forward to as you get closer to debating Raphael Warnock?
2: Well, what I'm looking forward for is uh, we sitting down and coming up with a good, uh, uh, what we call it, uh, good sit down that we can show people the comparison. As I said early on, there's going to be a lot of comparison. and You're going to see that I'm for biking the blue. He's for assault on crime. He's called them names. I'm for the military. He's called them names. He said that, you know, they're, they can't serve both God and the military at the same time. I'm for school choice where he's for, uh, you know, all the things he's for against schools. I'm for Georgians, and he's for Joe Biden. And and what's strange about that is I think people are saying that Joe Biden and his administration is headed in the wrong direction, and we have a senator that has voted with him for almost, what, 96% of the time, and that said that you're headed in the wrong direction, but you would not take the time to turn around and serve Georgia. And I want Georgians to know I'm for you, whereas he's for Joe Biden.
0: So let's circle back around and finish up with agriculture like we started. I know that you're going to be touring in some different cities around Georgia. How important is it to you for the agriculture community to know Herschel Walker?
2: That's very important. With that being one of the number one industries in Georgia, i want them to know that I have that bike. i want them to know that I'm going to go to Washington and fight for them. And uh that's the reason I said that I wanted to get with the agricultural uh, community. I want them to know that you know, I grew up in in middle Georgia, I grew up on a farm and there's things that they can also help me to understand that's really happening. And I wanna know how they feel, the pain that they're going through. And I've had a chance to talk to some early on in the primary and I saw the pain. And so that's the reason I wanna go out and fight for them. I want them to know that Herschel Walker, when he gets to Washington, he's a fighter. I've always been and I'm gonna fight for them, I'm gonna fight for Georgia.
0: Um, how can people help you if they want to help Herschel?
2: Well, what people can do to help me, they can go to TeamHerschel.com, volunteer that time, become knockers. They can also, if they can uh, donate, donate to uh, TeamHerschel.com, and let's go out and win the Senate seat and get Georgia back together. Because it's not about a Herschel Walker. It's about us. We, we're the people. We're going to come together as one and go out and do the right thing for the state of Georgia. So
0: I got to ask you this question. We're about a month away from the from the college football season starting. How does the University of Georgia look this year?
2: University of Georgia look great. They got a good team. They're going to be the one to beat this year. Alabama got a good team as well. The SEC is still going to be, I think the top conference in, uh, in college football. So they're going to be what everybody's looking at. but I tell you Alabama and Georgia are the two teams I think we got to pay attention to.
0: Herschel Walker, thanks for being with me today. I appreciate it very much.
2: Hey, thank you and God bless. Putting the talk in news talk. It's The Martha Zoller
1: Show on AM 550 and FM 102.9, WDUN.
0: Sarah McElroy is the founder of Raise to Rise, a movement that amplifies women's voices from the Great Resignation. And uh, there was a headline, 50% of women plan to quit their job within the next two years. And I have had some thoughts about that, considering all the women I know that are changing the way they're doing things as a result of COVID and how their lives changed related to COVID. So I thought it'd be a great time to get Sarah on to talk about it. Sarah, welcome welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Martha. It's great to be here. So give us just first of all an overview of kind of what led up to that headline of 50% of women plan to quit their job within the next two years. Sure.
3: That is born out of a Deloitte global survey of 5,000 women that was released just a couple of months ago, and it found that Over 50% of the participants in the survey plan to quit within the next two years. And then that number actually spikes up to 90% of women intending to leave their current employer on a five-year horizon, which is really just incredible, totally unprecedented numbers.
0: Well, you know, it's funny because I made a change like this in 2019, June of 2019, B.C., before the world changed, right? And I I was in a very high-powered job and had been for for a while, and I had the opportunity to come back. Um, to the radio station where I started my career and spent most of my career and work on a more part-time basis, uh, but be able to do the things that I love, but with a different kind of schedule. And I, you know, I'm a, I, I took that opportunity and it was, I actually went and saw a therapist for a period of time to help me with the transition because it's a big decision to make to, to change kind of the way you've worked for 30 some years and, and work in a different way. But there were a lot of factors that played into it. But this caught my eye because of that, because some of the things you're talking about in this uh, analysis are the same kinds of things that I considered to make that decision.
3: Absolutely, Martha. And I think you are so spot on. We are seeing a full scale renegotiation of what people want from work and especially women a lot of women are waking up and realizing that the way that they've worked for many many years is no longer working for them but I think you hit the nail on the uh, head with a really important call out in that these are huge decisions and so what I think we're wanting to see now is that yes we're we're reprioritizing people are really considering their values and how their career fits into their lives versus the other way around, which is the way many of us operated previously, but that we've gotta be really intentional and thoughtful and conscious of the decisions that we're making rather than knee jerk reactions. Various studies of the great resignation since, uh, since it started have found that anywhere between 20 and 70%, depending on the survey, Uh, Of great resignationers are actually regretting making their move. And I think that's because there hasn't always been a real conscious look at the moves they were making. Uh, in switching jobs or leaving a current job behind. So I think you're spot on and the way that you did it is
0: really the path to go. Well, and I tell you, too, a couple of things where I entered the workforce in 1980. And for for most of my career, I was one of the only women in the room. And I approached work that I worked longer and harder than any man sure. and, you know, all of that. And what I had to come to the realization was that I that 25% of me was as good as 100% of most anybody else because I worked very efficiently. And so I started approaching my life that way. And things got better but i mean it took me a long time to get there okay it took me a long time to get there raising children figuring out how to raise children and do all of this and that's one question i wanted to ask you because i have this theory and i don't even know if studies back it up that that because of covid and i guess what led up to the great resignation that a lot of families realized they could work differently because they were making it work because of all the restrictions that were put on them because of covid did that play into that at all most definitely i think what
3: we all kind of realized is we were running on the hamster wheel so hard pre covid and then all of a sudden we see the pandemic shuts the world down and for the most part people in their roles were able to continue with working from home schools were able to move into virtual settings things like that and it did have us all kind of lift up our heads raise you know raise our noses from the grindstone and look around and start to say what of the established rules regarding being in an office a certain period of time and commuting and all of those things, what of those are really true requirements and what were kind of more arbitrary established ways that we just accepted were the ways that we work for periods of time. So, yes, it's been, it's been a reprioritization, but as much of that is exactly what you said where people are realizing that things can be different. And I also think the advent of so many online businesses and access to the internet, people are able to get their name out there and make money in different ways than they've ever done before. We're seeing more women entrepreneurs. So it's a really fascinating time in this workforce upheaval. And McKinsey released a report just about a week ago that came out where they're saying this is really indicative of a structural shift in the workforce. This is not just an episodic blip on the radar, the, one of the co-authors, Bonnie Dowling, actually said, we're not going back to the way that work was in 2019. So it's going to be fascinating to see where we go from here.
0: We're talking to Sarah McElroy, who's the founder of Raise to Rise, a movement amplifying women's voices from the Great Resignation. And, you know, one thing also that what we found, and I think there's a settling out, too, because I've talked to a lot of women that are in fields like engineering fields and things like that, where collaboration is a really important part. So where that's settled out, it seems to me, and you can tell me if the data backs it up is that there's this sort of combination of yes when you're working collaborating on a project that you're developing or something it is important to be in the same room together there is a there's a kind of 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 collaboration that just doesn't happen over zoom you know or something like that but it's finding that balance of when you can be in the office and when you need you can collaborate in other ways exactly i think you're spot on with that martha because
3: it is for
0: sure there is benefit
3: that can come i think about even i was in a number of high level executive roles in the marketing field before becoming the founder of grace to rise and i certainly found that when you know our team would be working remotely we could get a lot done but trying to do things like whiteboarding in these online platforms very cool that these tools are Uh, at our fingertips these days but it isn't the same as sitting in the same room and and collaborating the energy and the dynamism of that but at the same time too we're also finding that when we don't have the interruptions of the workplace and you know you think of water cooler chat or just interruptions that happen when you're at a desk or you're moving around from meeting to meeting and now of course the zoom fatigue is a real sort of a thing but at home, we're able to get into these deeper, almost flow states of work when we don't have a lot of those distractions and stuff. So there certainly is benefit, like you said, of balancing the ways that we work on both sides of the coin, where you can have that in-person collaboration, but then also have those really strong periods of, uh, of deep work when we're able to work in, a, in the comfort of our homes and um, really focus in.
0: Well, and I think, too, there's this, you know, you do need the relationships. You do need to, to know people that you work with. And we're human beings. We're kind of pack animals. You know, we we, we want to be with other people. And I, I think it's interesting that this seems to be impacting women more. But I think that, in general, women have been more flexible about work, you know, in for a long time. I mean, you look at the medical field, for example. Medical, uh, half the women uh, half the doctors that are graduating from medical school are women now but if you look at it statistically women women doctors generally work full-time for about 10 years then they want some kind of change in that structure and so that's a very different thing than the old way i'm married to an old primary care doctor and you know he worked 90 hours a week you know his whole career that was just the way it was but that has changed also even in these very high demand careers Right, absolutely.
3: I think a lot of that speaks to women realizing that, to your point of what you said, Martha, I had that same experience of feeling like I needed to to work harder. And if I just kept my head down and put in the hours and the extra effort, I'd be able to kind of keep up with the men uh, alongside me in my offices. Um, But women, what we're starting to see is that, Yes, you can You can do all of that, but then women are doing more of the child care and the housework at home. The Mackenzie and Leaning.org Women in the Workplace study that came out for 2021 found that women are three times as likely as their male partners, spouses, et cetera, at home to be doing up to an additional three hours of child care and housework duties on a daily basis. That's essentially an additional 20 hours of work per week that they're doing beyond their professional requirements. And so I think you're spot on in that in balancing those extra hours, that's not necessarily that, you know, certainly that was compounded by the pandemic, but not really a a COVID phenomenon completely, that women have had to learn how to be really adaptable to balance all of those different responsibilities for an extended period of time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just think it's an important uh discussion to have as women have become a greater and larger part of the entire workforce, as they should. But again, that brings with it different responsibilities. And I know from from the women that I know and I mentor that are in their 30s, that they have have. Uh, dealt with this issue of they made a change and it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And But you know what? That happens. I think there's a maturity level that comes over time where it's easy for me at 62 to say, well, that's going to happen every now and then because I've got a 40-year career to look at where I had some good changes and some bad changes, mostly good changes, but there are some bad ones too. And I think it's much harder when you've got a shorter window of time you've been working and you make that difficult change to look and go, oh, it's going to be okay because I'll find a better opportunity.
3: I think that is very well said, Martha. I completely agree. You know, I was actually working in the Atlanta area where I was a chief marketing officer last April, so April 2021. I was having some episodes of throwing up blood and, and finally it culminated in shingles. And I just had this wake up moment of like, I just can't keep doing this anymore. I was working up to... 20 hours a day between that role and also doing Georgia tech's executive MBA program. And so I was offered a position to move down to Florida and took that job. And it turned out to be a really unfortunate fit with the (laughs) culture. And I was dealing with some sexual harassment issues. And that's ultimately why I left. So I could, to your point, I could absolutely sit here and say you know, I regret that decision. What a terrible choice that was. But here's the thing. I don't, you know, it was really hard in the moment and walking into that organization and not sure of what was going to happen on a daily basis was very much like a paper cut on my nascently healing burnout that I was, you know, coming off of from the other role. But I look at it in that it absolutely these experiences that may not be the the best of news teach us so much about what we do want and honestly i wouldn't have even founded race to rise and started to talk to other women to other understand what their experiences are in the workplace i just i wouldn't change it for a second so i think you're absolutely right in that it can be really tough when you're in it especially if you're newer in your career but the peaks and valleys are ultimately that lead us to greater career fulfillment and where we want
0: to be see i call it going through the open doors you know i i love it i you know i tell people all the time you might think this is not on your path for your career but if you take the opportunity and go through the open door you never know what you're going to find on the other side sarah if people want to know more information about your organization how could they do that
3: You can find me at razetorise.com, and that is R-A-V-E, two as in T-O, and rise, R-A-S-E.com. I would love to connect with anyone interested in this topic, women who would like to share their stories or learn more. I'm happy to support as much as I can since uh, I have certainly been there too. But Martha, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation, and I appreciate you sharing a bit of your journey as well.
0: To hear the full versions of last week's Martha Zoller shows, go to the podcast page at accesswdun.com and you can follow me on social media at Martha Zoller.